Yo, thanks again for checking out another edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. (laughs) Then again, if you're listening, you should know that by now. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. You can find this podcast just about anywhere. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Overcast FM, Google Play, and YouTube. And of course, you can catch me on Facebook, facebook.com backslash, spell it out, T-W-E-L-V-E-K-Y-L-E. And you can catch me on Twitter at 12Kyle, the number one, two, K-Y-L-E, as well as at 12KylePodcast. And you can catch me on Instagram at 12KylePodcast. So there's no reason not to subscribe and more importantly, share it with your friends. On this particular podcast, we're going to talk about R&B music. What happened to the R&B music that we grew up on? I'll give you seven key points as to what I think happened to it. And then we'll try to look for some resolutions. So sit back, turn your speakers up. We're going to drop the theme music and we're going to get this podcast cracking. Let's get it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm 12 Kyle, your host. <laughs> As I mentioned at the top, uh, the question is what happened to R&B? I think really before you answer the question, you have to at least acknowledge that, you know, R&B, at least the R&B that we knew and recognized as R&B isn't the same. I mean, things have totally changed. Uh, if you grew up in the 70s or like myself in the 80s, um, you know, R&B as we know it is, is vastly different from what it used to be. And I understand that, you know, times change and people change and, and you know, naturally music will change. Uh, technology uh, you know, has had an effect on things. But when you think about R&B, at least for me, the genre that we call R&B, you know, you know, almost doesn't exist or it exists, but it doesn't exist in which, you know, what we used to know was R&B. So I got a couple of points here that I want to make as to what I think happened to R&B. First point, I think right now in R&B, there's way too much focus on the physical attributes of the acts and not the focus on the talent. Uh, Case in point, Um, And I've always made this case, but like if Jill Scott, who I think is incredible, I love Jill Scott. If Jill Scott looked like Beyonce, she would be a much, much larger artist than she already is. And and don't get me wrong, Jill Scott is huge, Uh, but she's not as big as she is uh, as far as popularity is. She's not as popular as Beyonce. But I think personally, I think she could sing circles around Beyonce. And that's not to say that Beyonce can't sing, but she ain't messing with Jill. (laughs) I mean, she's just not. I mean, let's just keep it real. She is not messing with Jill Scott on her best day vocally. So I think like and I understand we are visual people. Uh, R&B, you know, is sold um, to its consumers. Uh, 
but no, I think if if you go back to Jill Scott's first album, uh, who is Jill Scott? You know, you look at the album cover. I mean, like you could barely see her face. Like we didn't know. I mean, like if you weren't from Philly, you didn't know what Jill Scott looked like unless you saw her on tour with the Roots before she really broke. Um, you didn't know what she looked like until, you know, the album actually dropped. And then, you know, when you saw the album, you still didn't know what she looked like and you didn't know what she looked like until her first video dropped. Um, and again, it's not to take anything away from Beyonce, but I think right now, you know, when I look at R&B singers, like let's use Sierra for an example. Like, I think there's a huge segment of the population, uh, men included, <laughs> that you know, what they notice first about Sierra is her, how she looks. And they don't necessarily care about how she actually sounds. And that's not to say that Sierra, Sierra isn't talented because she is talented. She can dance. You know, her singing, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, I've heard her live. She's, she's all right, I guess. Um, I heard more tracks than I heard her. Uh, but that being said, I think there's, I think the, the, the record industry has made it such. And then, you know, it's permeated to the people that, you know, the focus should be on how an artist looks. And and I'm just and don't get me wrong. You if you have a, a male artist, you know, like a D'Angelo. Yeah, you want him to look good. You want ladies to, you know, swoon over him or you want guys to drool over a Beyonce. I get it. But when the the focus becomes more so on how an artist looks as opposed to their talent then you got a problem. Um, I, I don't think that you can necessarily push R&B artists out there uh, just based on their looks uh, without really exploring the kind of talent that they have. Um, you know, I, I mean, like, I, I'll give you an example. Like, Aretha Franklin was known as the queen of queen of soul. Um, you know, to me, Aretha Franklin, she all right. You know, like, <laughs> like she's not she's not and, and in her day i guess she probably was a dime piece you know she, she to me she's always just been all right but i think she came up in an era where you really had to to blow you had to sing you had to earn your your, your stripes it, you know the record label wasn't necessarily pushing you out there because you were pretty um i've heard this knock on the late great Aaliyah. now i Personally, I loved Aaliyah. I didn't necessarily have any issue with the fact that she was beautiful and she could sing and she could dance. Um, some people did. I personally didn't. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the, the focus really has been in R&B music in particular, uh, really about how the artists look, um, whether it be a, a girl group or, or a boy band or whatever you want to call it. Um, they're looking for eye candy. And they're looking for a certain look. And I get it. Yeah, we all want people, we all want our artists to look like, you know, TLC, if you will. Um, but at the same time, if you don't have the talent to match it, then it doesn't really matter how good they look. You know what I'm saying? Because the looks are only going to take you but so far. And I think far too long, um, particularly this prop, this trend, I would guess started maybe somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it really became about how you looked. And, you know, as superficial as that sounds, uh, after a while, especially with the advent of the Internet and, you know, social media now, uh, if you're really caught on how an artist looks and you're not really interested in the talent that they have, then you can go follow them on social media. <laughs> you can follow them on Instagram and look at their pictures and never buy their music because 
you're only compelled to look at them. Um, and I blame the, the, the label for that. I bring, blame R&B labels for that. Uh, and subsequently, I think, you know, that has suffered. Uh, that's, that has made it suffer, the, the, the genre suffer, because there's been too much focus on the physical attributes and not enough focus on the actual talent of the acts um, in R&B. Um, the second thing that I think, um, I think over a period of time, R&B music, much like other genres, but R&B in particular, you know, it really became, it has become, you know, driven by the producers. Um, and its focus has turned from the artists to the producer. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There were years back in the day when Quincy Jones and Gamble and Huff and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, L.A. LA Reid and Babyface, Teddy Riley, when those names reigned supreme in R&B. Um, and I think part of the problem is, is that when we moved from the 80s into the 90s, um, R&B, the focus went from the artist to about who's producing the album, you know, and let's say if you had New Edition coming out with an album, New Edition might say, okay, well, we got to get Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Do you see what he just did with Janet Jackson's album on the Control album? And then, okay, so New Edition goes and gets, go gets Jam and Lewis. And then you might have, let's say, Troop. They may say, okay, well, we want to be like New Edition. We're going to go get Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis too. And then you might have another group that goes and gets Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Let's say Color Me Bad goes and gets Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Then all of a sudden, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis have their own sound. All of a sudden, you may have three separate groups, which should be producing three separate albums that sound relatively the same. And that's a problem for R&B. And I think labels really, really pushed the envelope as far as saying, OK, well, we, we want you to get this producer or that producer. And don't get me wrong. Everybody can't rock with a Quincy Jones. Everybody can't rock with a L.A. Reid or Babyface. But at the same time, when you want to, when, when the labels are pushing artists to work with the end producer at the time, if or the hot producer at the time, what ends up happening is everybody subsequently after that, a lot of the albums sound the same or the songs sound the same because these producers have their own signature sound. Um, and then it gets to a point where everybody, you may have three or four albums that drop. And everybody sounds the same. I mean, everybody sounds the same. And when everybody sounds the same, that's not good for R&B. I mean, it just, it's not good for the genre. It's not good for the direction of where music is going. Um, one of the beauties of, you know, the 80s and the, the, the 90s and, and even the 70s and the 60s is that the sound that you heard, particularly from R&B acts, like nobody sounded the same. You know, Earth, Wind & Fire didn't sound like the Gap Band. The Gap Band didn't sound like Confunction. Didn't, Confunction didn't sound like the Commodores. Lionel Richie didn't sound like Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye didn't sound like Luther Vandross. On and on and on down the line. But what happens is when you, when you, when you decide to make all of the producers or just a handful of producers create the bulk of what you call R&B, then you're going to have similar sounds. And then the listening public after a while if they get tired of that sound they get tired of the music and i think that is a part of what happened to r&b tell you what let's take a quick commercial 
Sit tight. We're going to hear from my man Chris Rock. And on the other side, I'll give you a couple more points as to what happened to R&B. We'll be back in a second. Yo, man, R&B sucks. I mean, there's a couple of people that can flow, but for the most part, the genre sucks. Just a bunch of people singing over rap beats. Get a whole rap record, sing over it. And then everybody talk about their label, label this, label that. Hey, Smokey Robinson wasn't singing about Motown. The Osley Brothers wasn't going T-neck in the motherfucking house. The Jacksons wasn't singing about Epic because nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> Chris Rock is stupid. Yo, welcome back. It's your host, 12 Kyle. This is the 12 Kyle Podcast. We're talking about what happened to R&B. Um, as I mentioned before the break, I gave you two points. Here's point three. Um, I think there's just way too much talk about sex and not enough talk about love. Um, now, I say that with a caveat. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love sex just like everybody else i mean but i guess you know part of the issue is like every i don't want to say every but the majority of r&b songs if you listen to them today um there's no romance in it it's just about sex and again i don't i'm I'm not knocking you talking about sex or singing about sex one of the all-time great songs in r&b history was Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. That was the jam. And you know what? It still jams. It still knocks to this day. And Marvin crushed it. Anytime he sang it on stage, he crushed it. And he was very sexual. But if you look at the lyrics and listen to the actual sounds and and the the, the actual song, you know, it it really is about the anticipation of it. Not, you know, what I'm going to do to you he didn't say I was going to smack it up, flip it, and bang it out. <laughs> he didn't say any of that. He just said, like, look, this is what's going to, this is what I need. I need sexual healing. If you get that feeling, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and I think, uh, you know, like, I'll give you an example. Like, it's no knock on Usher, Trey Songs, Chris Brown. But, I mean, really. I mean, come on. I mean, like you turn on, you know, you turn on the radio and you and and again, you can listen to the radio for 10, 15 minutes and you will hear a song on R&B radio that, you know, will talk about sex. And that's pretty, pretty much what it is. And it's not even about the anticipation of it. It's not about your girl. I'm going to, you know, romance you and mack you or anything like that. It's just about I'm going to slide in and you know, slide in and out and beat it up and all. I mean, like, there's nothing, there's very little romance involved. And being older, I think you understand that it's not necessarily about that. I mean, obviously, we are, you know, sexual beings. We are sexual creatures. Uh, you know, we all are freaks. You know, you know my motto. We all are freaks. Some more freakier than others. Um, with that being said, I think you still want to you know, speak on the romance aspect of it, the 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 aspect of, um, you know, telling a woman or a man for that matter how you feel and how they make you feel. Um, I remember back in the day, uh, I would throw on the old Larry Graham. <laughs> I throw on the old Larry Graham and sing to to my then girlfriend, now my wife. Um, you know, cause that was the jam and, you know, and so like when you hear that song, 
you know, like it still brings back, at least for me, it still brings back memories of, you know, serenading her, if you will. But that song talked about love. And I think that's where it is, man. Like you just don't have a lot of songs that's talking about how, you know, to love someone or be in love or to, you know, express your feelings. And it's all about, you know, sex and, and, and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with being sensual. Sensual and sexual are two different things. Um, I think the thing is, is that the music of the 60s, 70s and 80s, I think R&B in particular, um, it talked about when it talked about sex, it talked about more or less the anticipation of it, um, the romance uh, that was displayed, the courtship, if you will, um, macking, <laughs> if you will, whatever you want to call it. That's what it was. So it really was it, it really left out the details of it. Um, but and it left a lot to the listeners interpretation, if you will. It's almost like reading a book and you don't necessarily or watching a movie. You don't necessarily show the sex, but you know that it's inferred and that it happened. Um, and I think that's where music was and R&B was at the time um, in the in, back in the day. That's where it was. And, and now it's just someplace different. And I think it's, you know, like I said, I think it's just, you know, the, the sex aspect of it is really, really overblown and, and it's oversexed, if you will. Um, the lyrics are I mean, like there is probably not a lot of R&B music that the average parent would want to sit and listen with their teenage child in the car on the radio um, or grandparent for that matter. Uh, you know, you, you hear so much and then you kind of, you know, blush, if you will, and be embarrassed by what's being played on the radio. And, you know, it's just it's overt. And I think if if it could go back to being subtle uh, now, don't get me wrong. There were very sexual songs in the 70s and 80s. I don't want anybody listening to this podcast to think otherwise, because there were. Um, but with that being said, it still it was it was more or less inferred and it didn't necessarily talk about, you know, you would think I invented sex <laughs> or, you know, we go where I'm, I'm going to bang you out until, you know, the cops come running, you know, or whatever the case may be. So it was just it was more clever. It was more disguised. It wasn't as explicit as it is now. And I guess that's where I'm going. Um, the love song spoke of love. They spoke of romance. Um, they weren't necessarily explicit and, and laced with sexual innuendo or, or that overt sexual uh, act in your right there in your face. Um, today's R&B, uh, very much so. Sexual themes. Um, and I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, like, it's just it's it's a lot and it's in your face and it's not there's no there's no way to hide it. You know, myself, uh, you know, personally speaking, I have a five year old daughter. No, I'm not going to. And I'm very when we're in the car, I'm very careful as to what I let her listen to on the radio, because part of which the music is so repetitive that it doesn't take much for a five year old to pick up on. Uh, with that being said, um, you know, it won't take much for them to catch on and actually be singing about, you know, things that they have no have no idea about. Now, don't get me wrong. I, too, was a young buck singing, singing about sexual healing <laughs> uh, right along with my parents. <laughs> but nonetheless, but it was like I said, it was more subtle and it wasn't as in your face. Um, and I think ultimately 
when the music genre of R&B moved from being, you know, about romance and love into about sex. I think ultimately, I think it made the record sales, you know, change or what have you. And, and they, they weren't as strong as they once were. Um, and then I think that, you know, in, in a way, the music has mirrored society. I mean, like you look at uh, how some men and, and women interact uh, you know, it's not about courtship. It's not about love. It's not about, hey, let me get to know you. It's about, yo, can I get them digits? Can I come through? Can I Netflix and chill? Boom, boom, bam. I hit it, split it, I'm gone. And there's no romance or no love in between. Um, and it's not to say everybody. And it's not to say that there isn't any music out there without love. And, I'm not, and I don't want anybody to think that. I'm just, I'm giving you a broad overview. The most of the genre of music doesn't necessarily reflect love. It reflects sex, and there's a difference. And if you don't know the difference, uh, therein lies the problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, point three, uh, too much sex, definitely not enough love. And, and you know, I think R&B would be much, much better suited if they could get back to that. Um, uh, let's see, point four. Uh, I don't think that there are a lot of R&B artists out there. I think... The artists remember back in the day in the 70s and 80s, uh, even in the 90s, like you knew what an R&B was, R&B artist was um, and their music had some type of substance. Um, right now, the artists are very limited. And, you know, when you listen to the music, there's only a couple of types of sounds that you'll hear. You'll hear artists that sound like other artists and they sound very commercial. And of course, there's, you know, violence and materialism and misogynistic lyrics or what have you um and that doesn't necessarily correlate with the uh i guess the substance that r&b used to be so i think part of the issue as i made in, in, in point four is that like artists it's hard to define what an r&b artist is at this point because the music is so blended with what is and what ain't i guess <laughs> um and, and to be honest i i blame i don't necessarily blame the the r&b artists i blame radio executives and and um excuse me not radio exec i blame record executives um and radio stations because radio stations are asking for it Ra record labels have pushed it to the point where like i said you really don't know what an r&b artist is so back in the day i think there used to be a plethora of r&b artists um, now I think artists just kind of fall in. I know that, you know, they created, you know, Neo soul and, and you have all of these different type of genres, but you know, the genre really just really has changed so much. Like you really, you have a hard time at first glance, uh, without being told identifying what an R and B artist is, um, or who they are. Um, and, and, and there's a correlation with another point that I'll get to in, in a few minutes. Um, uh, point five, uh, the obvious, uh, one of the things that has happened to R&B point five, nobody buys music anymore. Um, that's not necessarily R&B's fault to, to a degree. Uh, but things have changed so much to where, yeah, nobody buys music anymore. I mean, everybody, it's all about the downloads and the streams and everything like that, but you really don't have, uh, you know, uh, a rush to buy music. 
Um, think about it like this. When was the last time that you went into a store, a record store, or any store for that matter, it could be Best Buy, Target, wherever, and bought an actual album? It's probably been a while. Uh, most of us, most of you listening, have moved over to digital. Uh, so you either stream your music or you download it to your computers or phones or what have you. Um, and so the music is no longer, I mean, it's, and there's so much more free music um, that people really aren't compelled to actually spend money to buy. Uh, case in point, let's say, I don't know, your favorite R&B artist comes out with an, with an album. Um, you may or may not buy it because here's the thing you probably more often than not can get it for free. Uh, you know, with, you know, in the early to mid nineties when they had these file sharing uh, ventures, um, you know, obviously that killed the internet and the internet really became the death of music sales uh, because, you know, people were in the position of, well, Hey, why pay for music when I can get it for free? Um, and R&B suffered in, in that, in that aspect. And so if your favorite R&B artist comes out with an album, you know, are you really, really going to buy it? I mean, like physically go buy the CD or, you know, go pay for the download. Or are you going to, you know, get a stream, listen to it for free, maybe download it yourself for free, um, illegally, <laughs> and not pay for it. And therefore the artist doesn't see any money from your particular transaction. Uh, so they've actually gained nothing. You've gained some music. Uh, or are you going to download it on iTunes, Tidal, or you know Spotify, and the artist gets you know pennies to the dollar on each time that you decide to listen to it? The key thing is there in that aspect. If you you know buy the album and you listen to it four or five times and it's in your you know it's in your iTunes, um, or if, let's say you download it from let's say you just download it from Spotify. And you don't buy it on iTunes, you don't you don't buy it on Spotify, you don't buy the CD, you just download it on Spotify and you listen to it, let's say, 10 times. You know, the 10 times that you've listened to it, the artist isn't going to make any money off of that. You know, it's based on how many times they actually listen. Um, and so you've, in essence, for the most part, gotten an album uh, for free. And, and like I said, R&B has suffered from this. And that's not really, I can't. I can't really fault R&B for this because it's just a product of where music is. Um, the same thing has happened to pop, R&B, uh, rock, rap, whatever you want to call it, jazz. Every musical genre has suffered uh, because people just, the numbers indicate that people just aren't, and it's not to say that people aren't buying any music, aren't buying music anymore. They're just not buying it at the same volume in which they used to. I mean, if Stevie Wonder could drop an album tomorrow, it's not going platinum. I mean, you know, it's just not. That's just where it is. And you have a huge segment of the population that won't listen to it. You have another huge pop uh, segment of the population that will listen to it, but won't buy it. They'll stream it somewhere. They'll get it for free. And they're just not going to pay for it. And ultimately, the artist suffers. And when the artist suffers, the genre suffers. And when the genre suffers, uh, you end up having record labels saying, well, hey, 
What's the best way or the quickest way we can make money without having to invest anything into the money, into the music or into the artists themselves? And that's another thing. Just to piggyback on that, like there was a time in R&B where your record labels, you know, really, really preached and practiced longevity. They wanted artists to come and be on their label forever. Uh, you know, Motown comes to mind. They wanted artists to be there forever and to make, you know, to make their career on their particular record label. Well, times have changed. You know, the Internet and technology has changed a lot of stuff. And so, no, you don't get artists on labels, uh, you know, making 10, 15 albums, you know, because most most R&B artists won't be around that long for that for that matter. But after they've done their first album or two, if there's a third album, they may try to go independent. Or they may try to, you know, leak things and just make whatever money that they can off the album sales. So, again, point five, nobody's buying music anymore. So that has really, really changed the game. The Internet has changed the game. And ultimately, R&B has suffered. And to be honest, I really don't know if and when or if they ever will bring it back. I'll tell you what, let's take another quick commercial. We're going to hear from a man eclectic. He had a a theory on how or why R&B fell off. Uh, we'll hear from E, and then I'll come back with the last two points, and we'll get it. We'll uh, wrap up the podcast. Hang on a second. We'll be back in a second. Did Mary J. Blige kill R&B? Of course she killed R&B. Well, she had a hand in it with the uh, with Puff. Puff was the accomplice. The uh, 411 album basically killed R&B. Gave it the slow death. That and soul music, you know. When I was uh, when I was little, we had the, the the music genres in the urban market. We had soul and R and B and pop and jazz and funk. We even had hip hop. Um, it wasn't much rap back then, but you know, you had your choice of music that you could listen to and enjoy. And you know, after the 411 drop, Yo Limit, the choices was gone. You know, you either listen to today's music, which is whatever's on the radio. Or you listen to older music, the shit that's not on the radio. I mean, you can find a, a, a older station somewhere, but they're going to play, you know, maybe got back five times an hour. Um, Puff and Mary, they changed music forever with that album. You know, as soon as Top Billing was under the Real Love track, you know, that was it. Um, people just jumped on it and said, we're going to do that. So after that, everybody had a hip-hop track or a rapper on their on their music. And, you know, it was the same, you know. And just like that, we are back. Once again, it's your boy 12 Kyle on the 12 Kyle podcast talking about what happened to R&B. Yo, man, shout out my homie Eclectic. Uh, that was an excerpt from a podcast that Eclectic and I did uh, it was about four years ago talking about whether or not Mary J. Blige killed R&B. Uh, obviously, she didn't. Now, Eclectic will tell you something different, but I don't think she did. But I will say this much. Uh, e makes a great point. When we started to hear, uh, you know, R&B music over these hip hop beats, uh, you know, the game sort of kind of turned in a different direction. Which brings me to my point six. Um, Hip hop and R&B are pretty much the same genre. Um, 
there was a point in time where hip hop and R&B were two different genres and they were very independent of each other. Nowadays, you can't listen to uh, R&B track without somebody rapping over it. You can't listen to a hip hop track with somebody singing over it. Um, and, you know, almost every R&B track has some type of rap verse and, you know, rappers have gone out of their way to incorporate singing into their, you know, a singer over their hook. Um, or even worse, you could what I call Drake it and let just Drake sing the hooks. Um, not a fan of Drake, by the way. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, um, yeah, so point six, my R&B and hip hop are all the same. I mean, it's it's not the same, but it pretty much is the same. I mean, God forbid we have hip hop and R&B stations, radio stations. I mean that and that's how they advertise themselves as hip hop and R&B or R&B and hip hop stations, whatever you want to call it. That's what it is, man. And so it's to a point now where it's almost indistinguishable. Like you really can't tell the difference between a hip hop track and an R&B track. And um, I totally blame, you know, record labels for this. I don't blame, you know, Puffy. I don't blame Mary J, even though I could blame Puff because he invented the remix. <laughs> the What's the 411 remix album. Um, but yeah, Eclectic was, you know, kind of right to some degree, but he wasn't. He was off a little bit. I'm not going to blame Mary J, but I will say that, uh, you know, the genre has changed and they've merged and meshed into one. And so now, you know, what is R&B? You know, R&B today has a huge element of hip hop in it. And that wasn't always the case. I mean, like you would have never heard Rakim rhyming over you know, the remix of Ribbon in the Sky from Stevie Wonder. You would have never heard Run DMC, you know, rhyming with over uh, Sweet Love by Anita Baker. I mean, like, you know, come on, man. I mean, like, at some point, you have to create your own lane and stay in your own lane. And I think, you know, R&B and hip hop have done a terrible job of staying in their own lanes. And I think they have merged into one. So, you know, so you can look at and it happened in the 90s. I you got to admit that it happened in the 90s. I mean, you can let's let's take Jodeci, for instance. I mean, like when Jodeci came out, they were singing. But if you looked at them, they had the baggy clothes. They had the ball caps. They had they had the boots on in the video. So they looked like a hip hop group, but they were singing R&B. So the the mantra was look like the fellas want to look and then appeal to the ladies and you know same for tlc tlc they didn't look like your regular girl r&b group i guess you would call them an r&b group um and so you know things kind of changed in the 90s and you know to the point now where it's all the same really i mean if you if you really really break it down think about it and listen to any type of music it you be hard pressed to hear a R&B song that does not have any rap in it. Uh, you be hard pressed to hear a hip hop song that didn't have any R&B singer or singers on the hook. And so you know it's uh, it's unfortunate, man, because I think both genres are more than capable of standing on their own. Um, but it it has changed, and to be honest. This is a part of the genre of R&B that I don't think we'll ever see come back because hip hop is too popular. 
Um, and, you know, when R&B started to fade, it made, at least to them, it made more sense to them to, hey, let's sound like a hip hop group or let's look like a hip hop group, even though we're going to sing R&B. Um, I mean, just think about for a second, like all of your favorite boy bands and girl bands from the from the, the mid to late 90s. Um, well, actually, you can say all of the 90s. I mean, like they all had some element of hip hop in them. And then subsequently, so did their music. And it, you know, kind of transformed into the 2000s. And, and so now, like I said, the two emerged together. They're they're tied to the hip. And I don't think that that has necessarily benefited R&B. If anything, it's made hip hop a little bit more universal, made hip hop a little bit more uh, acceptable around the world, if you will. Uh, but R&B is taking a backseat to hip hop. And to be honest, I don't necessarily know that it can or ever will step from under hip hop shadows. Um, my seventh and final point is uh, the production of R&B. Uh, everything, and I get it, you know, technology has really changed the game. Um, but everything doesn't sound like how it used to sound. I'll give you an example, like with the Internet you're going to have more synthesizers. You're going to have more drums. You're going to have more bass or whatever you want to, whatever instrumentation you want to add. But that's the point. R&B from the 70s and 80s had live instruments. You hardly ever hear R&B music with live instrumentation. Everything's computerized. Uh, you know, so you had production and it sounded a certain way and it looked a certain way and it felt a certain way. Now it's all, you know, kind of digitalized. So it doesn't have the same look. It doesn't have the same feeling. It damn sure don't have the same sound. And then you look at the bands. I mean, because I think when you talk about production, part of what was big in R&B at one point in time were bands. I mean, personally, I grew up on Earth, Wind & Fire. So they played their own instruments. Nowadays, I mean, there are no R&B bands. I mean, think about it. Earth, Wind & Fire, Sly and the Family Stone, uh, Parliament Funkadelic. All of those were killing it. The Commodores. Um, all of those were killing it in the 70s and 80s. What's the what's the last R&B R&B band? What, Mint Condition maybe? That's probably about it. I, if there are any R&B bands out there, please hit me up in the comment section. Or tweet me at 12 Kyle. I don't know of any. I don't know of a lot of them. I'll put it like that. Um, and if they are a band, you know, what's their sound? Is it, you know, is it digitalizer or are they playing with live instrumentation? And trust me, that makes a huge difference in how your music actually sounds. That's one of the great things about listening to Earth, Wind & Fire. You can hear the instrumentation. You don't get the same, you know, in, <laughs> nowadays. You just don't. And so I think the overall computerized uh, production sound of R&B has changed. And, you know, it's it's what has changed R&B. So R&B don't even sound like R&B because you don't even have live instrumentation to make it sound like R&B. You know, everything now is digitalized. And, you know, when you when you look at the fact that more pop artists are using live instrumentation than R&B artists, that's a problem. And then so there are more pop bands than there are than there are R&B bands. 
because R&B bands have virtually disappeared from mainstream music. You know, how can you call yourself R&B when you don't even have bands? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me. So in essence, man, these are, are some of the things that's wrong with R&B. Is it still a great music genre? Of course it is. Are there still great artists out there? Of course there are. It's just not the same. And, and, and in a, a great way, that's really, really sad. And I'm not speaking necessarily from a nostalgia perspective. I'm just saying like the music just ain't what it used to be. And unfortunately, I don't know that we can ever get that back. The only way you can get it back, just press play. Thanks again for checking out another edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your man, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5,000.